the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. I speak to you in the name of God, who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? God asks Job. And in our gospel passage, the sons of thunder promptly step into the spotlight. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, Jesus. Jesus must have raised an eyebrow. Perhaps he said, unrecorded, and James and John couldn't have thought that would really work, could they? It's a bit like saying to someone that you're about to make very angry, promise me you won't be angry. The preceding three verses are normally included with this passage today, so I'll read them for you. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him 
and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. This is the third time Jesus has made his passion prediction. So I don't know if James and John just weren't listening. Maybe they were daydreaming of being on hand and on top of regime change. Like perhaps you and I might dream of winning the Mega Millions lottery. Maybe this question of Jesus is their version of imagining all the things that we would do if we won. Or maybe they're just scared of what he's saying. And so they lean into their own idea of what it would mean to be a part of God's glory in his son. Whatever the case, they are making moves. Perhaps they sense Peter falling from grace since last time he got himself called Satan. And the other disciples are ticked off. But it sort of only feels like it's because they didn't think to ask Jesus first. Jesus responds to them all, calling them again to a countercultural description of being his disciple, following the lead of the one who would give his life as ransom for many, Jesus contrasts the world of power around them with those who follow the way of the peaceable kingdom. Sure, Jesus, that's nice and all, but have you seen the world around us lately? It's do or be done to, eat or be eaten, keep climbing or get out of the way. Really? Culturally, we're trained from the very beginning that wielding power is the way of life, even if in pursuit of good. One of my favorite cartoons as a kid was He-Man, where mild-mannered Prince Adam would shout, By the power of Grayskull! and transform into a heroic beefcake with a giant sword ready to beat up the bad guys. It was awesome. I had all the action figures but it definitely told a certain narrative about power. It may surprise you to hear that I uh, did not really play well with others as a kid. I was fine in a game or a sport, but if it came to playing make-believe with action figures or I had lots of plastic animals, especially creepy crawlies, snakes and lizards and bugs, I didn't really get how to play with others. They would always mess up the story. Talk to my family for more than 30 minutes and they will probably like to tell you the, the stories of trying to play with me with my toys when I was young and they'd have their G.I. Joe say or do something only for me to correct them. No, Aunt Steffi, he doesn't say that, he says this. I just couldn't help having a clear vision of how the story went. The truth is, though, I just didn't really know how to make space for another's imagination in relationship to my own. I hadn't yet learned that rule of good improv, yes, and. Jesus ironically affirms James and John's quick and glib affirmation that they can follow Jesus in his cup and his baptism. It will just be very different than they think in that moment, later facing martyrdom and exile, respectively, for their faith. And the position of being to the left and the right of Jesus in his glory will instead be filled 
by the two thieves crucified alongside him. And so Jesus upends the disciples' conceptions of power and stature. That to be great in the kingdom of God is first to serve others. It's a hard sell, though. The idea that a disciple must put everyone ahead of themselves, whether from our self-preservation instincts, which, to be fair, I do think we need to question as primary motivators, or even just a modern understanding of self-care, which I think is, within reason, a valid and part of loving ourselves in order to be able to love others. Now, maybe it's just me trying to squirm out of a direct if difficult teaching, but I have to wonder if perhaps Jesus isn't just saying, isn't saying, let everyone climb over you on the ladder. Maybe to serve as a disciple of Christ is to get off the ladder entirely, to know it's not just up and down, but for us coming alongside. In serving others, perhaps we can imagine holding space for our needs and desires while figuring out how to make room for those of others. Like a good self-differentiated counselor or pastor who holds their own emotions aside in order to be able to be fully present for the person to whom they're listening. Scripture, of course, constantly reminds us that God asks us to make space for others especially the poor, the immigrant, the imprisoned, the orphaned, the sick, i.e. in the language of the Bible, simply those at the bottom of the ladder of worldly power, those without means and privilege. It was Jesus who offered himself as ransom for the world. We are not saving anyone. But clearly, there are some saints that have and who will continue to be called to heroic sacrifices, St. Francis's, Mother Teresa's. But from what I can tell, if we're ever called to it, it too will come as a gift received with grace and thanksgiving, not really the work of our own will. But all disciples are called to serve in love, and it doesn't, I don't think, have to be self-annihilating, but instead, I think, a growth in gratitude more fully into the image of God, who came not to be served, but to serve. It occurred to me, by way of example, that by virtue of my still fairly new identity now as a father, I have made space to serve my daughter Georgie. I'm at her beck and call to feed and clothe and clean, even in darkest night. She can't make me, I'm more powerful than she is, right? But I've chosen to put myself under the authority of service to her because it makes real that part of who I am now, her daddy. And I choose to do it because I love her. I got to take part in the lovely wedding of Colin and Teresa on Friday night here at Holy Communion. And what is marriage but choosing to mutually make space in your life, within yourself, for that spouse, each serving the other in love. That's not putting yourself above or below, it's making room for another in the space in your life where before it was just yourself. And it brings joy and meaning to live more fully 
into those identities. I feel more Jonathan than ever, even having given up some bits of that autonomy and some sleep. <laughs> Unlike God, who some Jewish mystics have suggested contracted part of God's own self in order to make room for creation, we mortals only have limited space within ourselves for others. And that's okay. Jesus came to ransom and liberate all. As disciples, our own lives help show that truth of what has already been accomplished. None of us can do it all. But a communion of such saints, well, they might be able to do quite a lot. And to be honest, many of us perhaps don't need quite as much room for ourselves as we think we do. Like choosing to be a parent or a spouse, like choosing to care for an aging family member, or committing yourself to a good cause or organization, choosing to serve others doesn't diminish or send us downward into powerlessness. It makes us more the disciples and people God has called to show the way of the cross, to show the way of love and joy, gratitude and deep purpose are the gifts that often come to us in return. Amen.